I think, Leslie, my favorite scene in all of The Naked Gun is the national anthem. <laughs> now tell me about your singing the national anthem. Well, it, you know, of course the premise and the reason why I'm out there is funny to begin with. Uh, we went and that actually was pre-recorded, I think before we began shooting. Certainly it may have been the first day or the first night of the first day. And just singing it in the studio and hearing it played back to me was funny because I don't think you've ha heard lyrics mixed up worse than that, singing <laughs> the national nor have you heard it sung so flat and off key ever before in your life. And it just became terribly funny to me to do it. And of course, since I'm such a terrible singer to begin with and to have an excuse to sing that way anyway, which is the way I really am, many people might think that I did it deliberately. I'll tell you right now, it's not true. <laughs> I'm just a terrible singer. It is a very funny sequence. The national anthem may never be the same again. You wanna sing and you wanna sing Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna sing and you wanna sing Like when Bobby D says, you're talking to me. Seen It All with Jeff and John. Hey everybody, welcome to Seen It All with Jeff and John, the podcast where we break down our favorite scenes from our favorite movies. I'm Jeff Glover. I'm John Zabriskie, and hey, it's Enrico Palazzo! Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo! <laughs> and in this episode, we find the missing evidence in the Kellner case. My <laughs> God, he really was innocent. <laughs> Frank, he went to the chair three years ago. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. right, folks. We are talking about a scene from the 1988 comedy spoof classic Naked Gun, colon, from the files of the police squad. In this city, there's crime on every street. But one man has seen enough. He's Lieutenant Frank Drebin. Whatever scum did this, not one man on this force will rest for one minute until he's behind bars. Now let's grab a bite to eat. He's a good cop who's having a bad day. His best friend... Oh, everyone should have a friend like you. ...is in a coma. As soon as Nordberg is better, he's welcome back at police squad. But I wouldn't wait until the last minute to fill out those organ donor cards. His girlfriend... Asked him to look her up. Nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuffed. Let me help you with that. And his city is in the hands of a master criminal with a sinister plan. I must kill the queen. How can any police story contain this much action? This much romance? I like cops. All right. Or this much baseball? Starring Leslie Nielsen, a cop who's always on the alert. Mikhail Gorbachev. I knew it. Queen Elizabeth, everyone's favorite queen. Priscilla Presley, a woman who really cooks. How hot and wet do you like it? Ricardo Montalban. Frank. You're both right. George Kennedy, the partner with an appetite for danger. O.J. Simpson, as you've never seen him before. And Reggie Jackson in his first dramatic role. 
in a movie so big, it had to be filmed in color. The Naked Gun, from the files of Police Squad. See you then. Hey, John. Hey, Jeff. You know how I know this movie is a work of fiction? <laughs> how do you know? Because the Mariners are in a goddamn playoff game. <laughs> playoffs? Playoffs. Uh, playoffs? Is this a playoff game? I think they say it's like the ALCS or something. Do they? I'll have to... Don't they? Sure. <laughs> I'm drinking a chilada. It's off. the Mariners. I, th- I think they made. I mean, if you're I right. Swear they say it's a playoff game, but maybe not. Playoffs? Uh, playoffs? <laughs> playoffs? I feel like playoffs. they announced that at the playoffs. beginning of the game. Well, all right. We'll we'll do some, we'll do some research and get back to you all about that. <laughs> we uh, won't. I thought I had such a great joke there. <laughs> Tuck that away. Maybe no, we that start was start over. That was good. You know how? To, yeah, no, that was good. We'll we'll stick with that because I have no idea myself. Even though I watched this scene today, I don't remember them talking about it necessarily. But I wasn't really, I don't know, into the finer details. Well, who am I kidding? Of course I was, but. <laughs> yeah, at this time, 1988, the Mariners uh, still had not made a playoff appearance. I think their first one was 95. Yeah, and um, and then 2001, right? And then never again. <laughs> yeah, I think it's 95, 97, 2000, mm. 2001, and then that's it. Great. Wonderful. Thank you. Good night. Yeah. Go home, <laughs> Mariners. Uh, John, you picked this movie. Hey, the first Naked Gun film. Uh, this was a fun, uh, fun watch and a movie that's near and dear to my uh, nostalgic heart. Uh, what is what is your experience with the Naked Gun? Did you watch this a lot growing up? Yeah, we watched this one a lot and the second one some, but we definitely watched the third one, Naked Gun 33, and a third, the final insult the most. Final I think that's insult. the final insult. That's the one with. Uh, what's her name? Anna Nicole Smith. Oh yeah, as the femme fatale. Man, uh, I really wanted to rewatch all three of these for this podcast, and I just didn't have enough time because um, I was same. out of town for part of this. But uh, I really should because I have I remembered watching this. I remembered a lot. It was like coming back to me as I was watching it. But I know that part two and three, there's a bunch of stuff that I've probably completely forgotten about. Oh, there's there's a whole bunch of good stuff in two and three with uh, three just like going the biggest uh, with its screwball comedy where they're literally taking over like uh, the Oscars, <laughs> the Academy Awards. So they're going oh, really, really right. big. I kind of remember that now. Yeah. Right. This is a pretty big broad comic scene we're going to talk about today but they definitely go just bigger and broader uh with the the third movie there so you guys watched uh in your family you watched part three a lot 33 and the third yeah we watched part three a lot and then um we would more likely catch one and two like on cable um, sure but this is yeah it, it, this is where you know it all starts like with this big movement, I think, towards the screwball comedy, really, because this is done by who is it? Zucker, Zucker Brothers. Abrahams, and Zucker. Yeah, and they did you know Airplane first, and then they did Police Squad the show, but then they went like so many other things. I even wrote some of their uh, credits there, where they're doing High School High, basketball, 
ruthless people, ghost even. It's like, well, okay. I don't know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The Hot Shots movies, Mafia, Top Secret. There's mm. a lot of these with like exclamation marks. Top Secret yeah. is fantastic. That's oh, from like early 80s, right? That's like 84, I think. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I, I would say under, slightly underrated with uh, Val Kilmer. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, um, very underrated, I think. Not enough people have seen Top Secret. <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's a classic. If you're liking Naked Gun, uh, you can't go wrong with uh, Top Secret. Um, I always yeah, felt then, like. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Airplane sort of paved the way for this sort of comedy, for sure. Like it was yes. the it was the originator, um, and you know we get the Leslie Nielsen connection with that one, of course. And then I think Top Secret, like I said, is an underrated um, part of that movement, but. Um, they really grabbed it and just went balls to the wall with the naked gun trilogy. Didn't they? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't want to say that ne- these are necessarily more iconic than airplane. Cause airplane is, is sort of untouchable. It's, you know, so classic and iconic, but um, I don't know the naked gun trilogy. Uh, you could make an argument that it's sort of the, the height, the culmination of these spoof movies. And then we got a lot of spoof movies later in the nineties, you know, with scary movie and those types of things. Right. All really just sort of a riff on the naked gun and airplane movies. Exactly. Where they are just takes on certain kinds of movies. uh, But they are just like, I was using that term before, just screwball, just zany comedy where everybody's goofing off and just scene after scene. is just, ridiculous and you know some things hit and some things don't hit i I will say on my rewatch this time for naked gun like i was definitely remembering it more fondly i think than i was giving it credit for weirdly i think this is the first of the movies we've done where i was just like kind of honestly waiting for the scene that i chose to start and the scene i chose here you know isn't more than an hour in and, and there are definitely some parts where it's just kind of, to me, it was dragging for the first time of all the times I've ever watched it. And I, and I felt kind of bad thinking, oh, no, hopefully Jeff is not feeling it drags. And this is my my choice. But this is, I felt like, kind of the first of the movies um, where, you know, some of the nostalgic dust or nostalgic pixie dust wore off a little bit for me. But yeah. still, the, 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 all that said, this scene, like, still really sparkles for me. No, I I agree. I think I think you're... I think you're absolutely right. And I, I had a very similar experience because I, I look back very fondly on this movie and I watched this movie a ton. You know, this, this came out in what? 88, 88 so around like fifth or sixth grade, I want to say. So that would have been for me like around, you know, the early nineties. I was, it was right around the time when I was allowed to stay home by myself. Right. Right. And I could watch my younger sister who was just a little bit younger than me. And uh, particularly in the summertime when uh, we weren't in school, both my parents were working and we were allowed to just be home. And it was like, you know, one of the those first couple of years that you're just allowed to do that is kind of exciting. Like, oh, yeah. Wow. You know, I can just, you know, I have to do my chores throughout the day that my mom tells me to do. But once I get those done, I can just like watch whatever I want on TV. And mm-hmm. like we had HBO. And oh, yeah. this is one of those movies that just always seemed to be on HBO. Mm-hmm. Um you know how HBO would go through like runs where they would just almost like clockwork. They would show the same movie, like the same time every day for like a week in a row, you know, right? They would, yeah. they would do that. And I remember, you know, me and my sister, I would, I would shout at her like, Oh, Hey, it's that part of naked gun. And she'd run in and we'd watch it together. But uh, yeah, this was one that I just, it, it's one of those movies where you can start watching it in the middle. You can just watch like 20 minutes of it. 
you can watch the whole thing and, and either way you're going to be entertained. You know, it's like one of those movies you can just step into. But back to your point, I, um, I had a similar experience. I, I definitely noticed a lot more this time through. I, I appreciated the attempt that almost every single <laughs> sentence and line and scene is a joke. You know, right. I always like that in comedies, but I definitely noticed more this time the ones that didn't quite land or that just felt like silly or outdated. Um, yeah. Where I, I definitely would have found it funnier as a 12 year old mm-hmm. than as a 41 year old, you know? So, um, yeah, it was interesting to rewatch it on, on, in that respect. But at the same time, I still really enjoyed this rewatch. It was very fun. And there's a lot of really funny, great things to, to mention. So, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think what I noticed was I was watching for, for the purposes of research, I was watching all of the, all six of the police squad episodes before this, the police squad show was. Oh, did you a, really? I wanted to do that too. Oh, they're just all on YouTube. They're that's oh, there. That's where I found them. I couldn't find them on Amazon. So I just, did, did the YouTube thing and they're all on there. Wow. Um, one of your favorite directors, Joe Dante directed two of the episodes. Oh, no shit. Um, and there's wow. a huge difference. If you watch this 1982 show police squad, you'll see it is way different than the naked gun series. And I think that was really rubbing off on me, like kind of in a negative way because police squad really depicts Frank as while he's like kind of, aloof at times like he's really on the job and he's really on his game he's just like a top-notch detective in that world of police squad um and in this movie it's a lot different he's definitely incompetent he's definitely clumsy he's not he's not those things in the show there's a big focus in the movies on his romance with jane uh but in the show it's, it's just him doing his police work doing his detective work you know, a couple times where he goes undercover, like one where he runs a, a locksmith shop hilariously. And he and he and his partner are like really wrapped up in how the shop is doing funny where they're like, oh, okay, this big order is coming through. Okay. We have to take care of it. And it has his own humorous moments and a lot Just, of the things that feed into naked gun, but mm. it's totally different. It's totally, I would say totally different. I, I think police squad is originally, meant to be a spoof on these neo not neo on these noir, like fifties and sixties noir shows like noir following detectives. detectives. Yeah. yeah. But not like with the femme fatale angle thrown in. Um, huh. Cause then you have basically two movies uh, when you're trying to make fun of that too, I feel like. And that's kind of where this movie, I think lost me this time around. Do the police squad episodes, does their humor kind of come from like deadpan dialogue? Is that, it's, it's yeah, it's much more like the deadpan dialogue. There's some, there's definitely yeah. some goofy things, but I think it being not TV, as many like sight gags or whatnot, like you get in naked, naked Gun. Yeah, like like I think with the show, you have a lot more just kind of recurring themes. Like every show has a scene where they're at the lab, and that's always easy to play for laughs. Where the <laughs> right. the laboratory Does have a giant guy who's eating a banana. Yeah, and it, <laughs> that really you, got, you got something on your face. No, the <laughs> other side, and then that falls the off. Whole banana <laughs> that part did make me laugh. That, yeah, oh, that guy's hilarious, and he like hands up the uh, binoculars in this scene, but you never uh, see his face. So. Never see his face. You have the kooky scientist who's always showing like the newest gadgets or like kind of breaking down things in right, the lab. The Swiss Army shoe. <laughs> yeah, the Swiss Army shoe. 
<laughs> Which you never see. I don't think you ever see that, do you? No, it never comes back again. That's okay. that's we the you know the blow darts from his uh, uh, cufflinks obviously play a big role in the scene we're going to talk about. Right. But um, yeah, this was army shoe never comes back. That's the last we see of it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that's the huge difference I saw going from the show, uh, going from like the six episode show and each episode's only 25 minutes long. Like I, I felt like I was longing for more of that as soon as I put the movie on mm. and then like the movie just wasn't that at all. It was, it was totally different. He, they made them a lot goofier, but I, th- I think, adding the goofiness maybe is trying to add some dimensionality to Frank Drebin and, you know, Leslie Nielsen just kills it. He's, he's awesome at whatever they're asking him to do, whether it's like a little bit of romantic, a little goofy, a little good at his job. Sometimes a little undercover, of course, like we see two times in this scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I imagine they were probably going for a little more broader appeal. Yeah. To, you know, like to spoof like, uh, the fifties and sixties noir, crime procedurals that's a pretty niche audience you know um Mm -hmm. you can you can take a a 12 year old as i was and plop him down in front of this movie in in 1988 and they'll find it funny without any context to what it's like you know a a genre that it might be spoofing a little bit Mm -hmm. so i i imagine that was a a choice they made to give it just broader appeal. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. If you're going to make money and make money, right. this did, I think it was like 11th place right after Die Hard for 1988. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. En- enough so that they, you know, made a second, a third one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, we actually haven't talked about the actual scene that we're going yeah. to cover here. So, uh, what is our scene, John? And maybe talk a little bit about, uh, why did you choose this scene? Oh, great. I'll uh, answer those questions in reverse order. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so um, I chose the scene because it's summertime now. It's uh, We're here in the beginning of June. So this episode will probably be out by the end of June, I imagine. Uh, so we're like just entering the dog days of summer. School's yeah. out. You've just celebrated Father's Day. Uh, and now you're watching the only sport that you can watch at least – once the NBA playoffs are done, you're watching baseball, good old fashioned America's pastime. Um, and this scene is <laughs> really focusing on the stadium uh, shenanigans. I call them of Frank Drebin, where he's trying to foil a plot to assassinate the queen by an unknown assassin and in order to do so. He can't show his face because then he'll be in trouble with the mayor, I guess. <laughs> uh, but also, <laughs> <laughs> but also, he I guess he doesn't want to give away right away to the bad guy that he's right there looking out for uh, the assassin. Um, so this is, just to lay it out there, this is the scene where Frank Drebin assumes the identity of Enrico Palazzo, sings the national anthem, and then <laughs> assumes the identity of the home plate um- umpire, uh, <laughs> trying to search all the would-be assassin players um, before the bottom of the seventh. Uh, nice. And uh, this is the longest scene I think we've ever covered. Yeah, this is around almost 15 minutes, but with so many kind of like repeat gags and like just a giant brawl in the middle of the scene, I, I, I felt like it, it was good to book in or it was good to f- have this length of a scene because it bookends so well. You have essentially like a 10 minute running joke where, <laughs> or like a, the, the whole scene is like basically one running joke where he begins 
saying, you know, singing the national anthem as Enrico Palazzo and he ends unmasking as the umpire with everybody thinking it's Enrico Palazzo. Right. <laughs> right. I did like that wraparound joke. No, uh, yeah, this is the longest uh, scene we've done, but um, I, I think you were correct in, if you're going to choose this part of the movie to talk about, you kind of have to talk about this whole thing in its entirety. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a good chunk of this that we can, you know, talk about briefly. That's basically a uh, music video montage and um, <laughs> just a lot of goofy, like throwaway gags visual gags that they they give us here so um although it is a long scene on paper i i think we'll be able to rifle through this uh in a normal amount of time for sure (laughs) i think so yeah i think so yeah um all right well um we should get into it here sure you want to um cover your uh your recurring (laughs) segment what's at stake what's it what's at stake what's at stake (laughs) What's at stake? Uh, Well, uh, pretty simple stakes here. All Frank Drebin has to do is stop the Queen of England from being assassinated by an unknown assassin. That's all he has to do. That's all he has to do. Almost like this would have been a lot easier (laughs) if they had just alerted the Queen's security (laughs) that there was going to be an attempt on her life and just... Not ever go to the game. <laughs> don't show up to a large gathering, and you'll probably be fine. <laughs> Just much, go back to England. Much much simpler. <laughs> but they don't. They let the queen come to the game and decide they have to uh, instead uh, cut off the uh, assassin. Uh, <laughs> I guess I just, use I just the right Queen of England as bait. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I just right now had that epiphany that this whole thing could have been, uh, <laughs> the movie could have just ended right there. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have such high stakes, stakes, stakes. Stakes, stakes, stakes. <laughs> but all right, you want to talk about part one of this uh, iconic scene, Jeff? I would love to. Thank you. Part one, starting at exactly one minute excuse me, one hour and two minutes and ending at one hour, four minutes and nine seconds in the halls underneath the baseball stadium, opera singer Enrico Palazzo has just finished asking someone for the head usher to take him onto the field. Detective Lieutenant Frank Drebin waits until the other person leaves, then knocks on Enrico's door. Drebin explains he is the head usher before distracting and then knocking out Enrico. Frank enters the room after felling the opera singer the head usher then knocks on Enrico's door and Frank answers, posing as Enrico. The now disguised Frank as Enrico enters the baseball field, followed by the color guard. The stadium cheers as Frank approaches the microphone. He begins to sing the national anthem. He does pretty well for the first couple of lines, but he is way off key. Everyone including Ludwig, Jane, Ed, the mayor, recognizes him on the Jumbotron. He really starts to screw up the words of the national anthem as police officers enter the field to retrieve him, all while still trying to remain at attention. You have to be respectful of the national anthem. Yeah, please. Cut then to a tied-up Enrico angrily watching Frank on the TV. Frank then finishes the song and runs off the field. (laughs) Free! Oh, 
Um, we should get into Frank Drebin's um, <laughs> plan. <laughs> right, because if if he doesn't want the mayor to see him, <laughs> he just goes on the jumbotron as as the national anthem singer, and everybody's going to see him. It's going to blow his, his own cover immediately. This is one of the funnier, like broad jokes in the movie where he tries to go undercover into the stadium to figure out who the assassin is by becoming or disguising himself as the person that's going to be on the TV for everybody to see. <laughs> oh, man. Just, just knock out one of the security officers and just dress like a security officer. <laughs> He could have gone straight to the umpire thing. Exactly. He didn't do any searching in this two-plus-a-minute no. <laughs> uh, national anthem. Um, he, he doesn't, like, look for weapons or anything like that. All he does is walk up to the microphone and talk <laughs> and really badly, badly sing the national anthem. Can I read you off what he actually sings? <laughs> Please, because it's I'm, great. I'm not going to sing it myself. I'll probably drop it right after I explain uh, the words, but I found it, and I like also listened to it, just changed it around to make sure it matched. He says, "Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hail in the twilight's last gleaming?" It's, it, I think it's accurate yeah, so far. Nails it so far. Yeah. All right, all right. Second verse: Whose bright stripes and broad stars in the perilous night are the rampart we wash and a da 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 da. da. <laughs> <laughs> and the rocket's red glare, bunch of bombs in the air, gave proof through the night that we still had a flag. That's my favorite. That we still had a flag. Oh, say does that flag banner wave over all that is free for the home of the land and the land of the free. I know. The, I like free. The, home, the home of the land. <laughs> Oh, this is like we're just watching this part. Just like I could have easily just I know watch this part, but I, th- I think there was just more to wrapping it up with people recognizing him as Enrico Palazzo. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. Yeah, <laughs> he just really goes for it in that last verse and over. Oh, ho, ho, that is free. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, yeah, it's just 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 bonkers. Just how goofy. Oh, <laughs> just, you're right. You're, it's like it's like you're saying. Doesn't make any sense to I go know, undercover. You a, yeah, you put a note here that it's the opposite of a disguise, um, <laughs> which is pretty damn funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do love it, and we get a whole bunch of reaction shots uh, yeah. from people in the stands. So, and one of my favorites, and I think you mentioned it here, if I remember reading over your notes, is uh, is it the mayor? Is it the is that woman the mayor that? Gives yeah, that's her- that's the mayor who's been like <laughs> busting his balls the whole uh, right, right, right. movie because he doesn't yeah. have he, he has a really soft captain and um and Ed, aka uh, George Kennedy. So yeah, they need that kind of like. 80s police captain really coming down on them and it, it it's the mayor who yeah just gives that kind of like bug eye like when she makes the connection like looking at the jumbotron like is, this is like, awful mmm. oh my god <laughs> something out of a cartoon though like, mmm? you know, yeah exactly 
Man, I love uh, George Kennedy in this, and we'll talk more about him because he has a funny little gag in the next section. But, um, man, he's pretty good in this movie. <laughs> oh, he, he's great in these movies, and he's carrying over where Alan North played the captain in the show Police Squad. I would say George Kennedy's like – excuse me. I, I think Alan North, as he portrayed him in this show, was much more just like Frank – um, just right. kind of played really the same kind of character with the same kind of deadpanning. But George Kennedy, I feel like, plays the captain as like like a big soft teddy bear, basically. Like he can be kind of angry, but he's always on Frank's side. And he's, he's just kind of a pushover and gullible. Um, so he's not that traditional police captain. He actually lobbied for the role of, of, of Captain Ed. I can't even remember. What is Ed's last name? Ed. Ed. Oh, his character's last name? Ed Hockett, I think it is. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's that's a pull if that's a pull. <laughs> um, yeah, I do love him in this. And uh, you're right. He always, after all the stuff that Frank has done and all the ways that he's screwed up, he still takes his side. And even we'll talk about in the next section of this scene, he's even like, Frank, no matter what, he's going to find that assassin, even if he has to search them all. Yeah, which is ridiculous because all Frank has done this whole movie is screw up everything that he's like touched. So, right, what are the odds that he's actually going to foil such a complicated assassination plot? Right. Um, all right. So, uh, do we have other things for this section here? I don't want to leave anything uh, out. Yeah, I could go on. Uh, there's, there's quite. I mean, they introduce this murderer's row of announcers. I call it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, just, that's just, pretty great. Yeah, yeah. It's like you have. Hold on. I'm, uh, they introduce each other, or they introduce all the announcers at once. Uh, they introduce Mel Allen, who's the one who's saying, "How about that? How about that?" <laughs> long time, long time Yankees announcer who like made these huge calls, like when Roger Maris was hitting 61 home runs that one season uh, to break Babe Ruth's record and, you know, so many World Series he's called. Jim Palmer, who was a longtime Orioles player, and then he became a longtime Orioles broadcaster. Mm. So, Uh, see, this is good information because I'm not a real big baseball guy. So I didn't recognize most of these people other than uh, like Dick Vitale, who's a basketball announcer. <laughs> right. Dick Vitale's there. He doesn't have any lines, but he's there. <laughs> he's in the there. booth. <laughs> like he's, he's normally a college basketball analyst. I just yeah, love, yeah. Yeah, love <laughs> he's that. He's just there. <laughs> uh, I would say Kurt Gowdy, another longtime broadcaster. I think he part took over uh, the duties of Yankee uh, Yankee uh, of calling Yankee games mm. after Mel Allen, I, I believe um, Dick Enberg has done just all kinds of sports over the years. I think I last heard him announcing San Diego Padres baseball um, for a while, like in the two thousands and then he retired, but he was doing baseball and football. I'm sure some basketball, mm. uh, Tim McCarver, long time, uh, I want to say just longtime national baseball broadcaster. So he's done World Series games for years and years and years, like since the 70s, I believe. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's great that they got all these old timers in there. To, oh, it's it's like, wonderful. Like, to each other. Yeah, it's like it's such a little Easter egg if you're a baseball fan. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. I think I think there's only one true baseball player and like the managers themselves are just actors and everybody else is just actors. But it's really cool having, yeah, that pedigree of baseball announcers or sports announcers and then you have dr joyce brothers who's 
<laughs> one of these, you know, pop psychologists. It's so uh, funny. She's just thrown in the middle of all she's these She's thrown in there. Um, I, I will say she's returning to the franchise here because in one of the shoe sign. One of the shoe shine scenes from Police Squad where oh, did uh, you shine your shoes? Or oh, did you shine your shoes for a, sh- <laughs> a shiny red penny? Uh, <laughs> but um, those like those iconic shoe shining scenes in the Police Squad <laughs> show where every episode Frank goes to the shoe shiner and pays him, you know, a couple twenty dollar bills for information, and the shoe shiner always always knows exactly the information <laughs> he's looking for. He's like, oh yeah, you're looking for right that you know, ex wife of that murdered man. Oh, like he, he's always having he always has know, the answer, the exact information. Like that is so that's pretty funny, it's hilarious. Funny. But but always <laughs> in the episodes. Frank leaves a shoe shiner and right after him, you know, like a guest star shows up and like gives him, you know, gives a shoe shiner some money for some information. So like you have Tommy Lasorda, the longtime Dodgers manager, yeah. you have um, Dick Clark. He's like, Hey, I need some of that anti-aging cream. <laughs> <laughs> you have a firefighter who like, who's fighting currently fighting a building on fire. He's like, how do I, you know, put out this fire. Uh, and then in one episode, you have Dr. Joyce brothers, you know, asking for advice for what to tell someone who's writing into her longtime popular newspaper advice. Oh, that's column. great. Johnny, I've been getting a lot of mail about the Cinderella complex. So women's fear of success has left many of them confused about their wants and needs. Consequently, stress related burnout has driven many women from feminist aggression to female passivity dependent upon their partner for vicarious fulfillment. Well, what do I tell them? Tell them to get in touch with their unconscious feelings and to share in the growth process with their partner. Thanks, Johnny. Yeah. I love but, how yeah. they brought her back. That's awesome. Back. Yeah, it was really All cool right, to, see, to, to see her back. <laughs> Just this hilarious, hilarious announcer's booth. Uh, all, all said, though, if, like, if the queen was going to come to a game, I could imagine people pulling out all the stops and like, let's just have like all these big time announcers. Yeah, let's just get every announcer up in here and we can just, you know, ask them questions whenever there's some downtime, which happens all the time in baseball. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's the first two minutes of this, uh, uh, 14 minute scene or whatever it is. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I think we forgot to mention at oh. one Oh, at an hour, Three and yes, forty eight seconds. Yes, <laughs> it's it's a real blanket, and you miss it because you know they're they're packing so many gags in here that you have a gag where, as Frank is singing the national anthem in the background at one hundred three forty eight, you do see one of the color guards uh, is actually a mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> I had never ever noticed this before in Me all neither. the times, really, in all the I times. Said- that I had yeah. seen it as a kid and growing up and whatnot. Um, and I, when I saw your note about this, I had to go back and I actually had to watch through twice and pause it to see yeah. it. But you're right. It's there. And it, <laughs> it is funny. <laughs> they just threw that in there and it goes by so fast. I love so it. So fast. I, I love it. Yeah. I, I just found it through the, the YouTubes. I, that's, mm. that's one of the things I have to do when I'm doing race, re, my scene research is I have to check out what the YouTubers are saying and, Almost always there's some kind of valuable golden insight there. I love it. I love yeah. it. All right. Should we get into part two here? Let's do it. This is the biggest part longer than any scenes themselves that we have actually covered for the show. Yeah. So, well, a yeah. big part of this is montage and, and yeah. they throw in a whole bunch of, we're going to, there's, 
This is one of those, you know, I, I love movies where <laughs> I've mentioned this earlier, where they just attempt to do joke after joke after joke. And there's a lot of movies like that. I think dumb and dumber is another one where like every single line of dialogue and scene is an attempt mm-hmm. at comedy and some of them hit and some of them don't. Um, but I do appreciate that attempt. And this section of the movie is like the epitome of that. They're just throwing everything at the wall and some of it sticks and some of it doesn't, but, um, Mm -hmm. including a music video. Yes. I (laughs) I appreciate it. 100%. All right. So this is going to go from about, uh, one hour, four minutes, 10 seconds, all the way to one hour, 12 minutes and three seconds. So almost, Almost exactly, uh, what is that, eight minutes? Almost eight minutes. Okay. As the crowd settles down, Frank returns to the under stadium halls. He takes an umpire aside and asks about a baseball bat before knocking out the umpire and dragging him (laughs) into a room. (laughs) I forgot to mention this in the previous section. When he knocks out the opera singer, he just does it with like the weakest, dumbest karate chop. And here we see it again with a baseball bat. Although it's a little more believable with a baseball bat. Literally committing, literally committing crimes to try to <laughs> stop a crime. Just Knocking assault. people out. Yeah. <laughs> assault. At one point, tying up Enrico Palazzo. Right. right. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, so uh, we knock out the, he knocks out the umpire and drags him into a room. We cut to the stadium's angel vision on the Jumbotron showing all sorts of bloopers. I love this part. Including a car that's hitting a second baseman. Cut to a custodian entering the room where Frank is currently changing into umpire's clothes. Custodian then apologizes for interrupting what he thinks is probably something else and then leaves the room. More bloopers are shown, including a tiger attacking a base runner and an outfielder's head falling off. (laughs) The queen is also shown handing out concessions down the aisle to other spectators. Lugwood takes a, takes a bite out of a dugout dog, discovering a finger and a ring in his hot dog. The queen throws out the first ball. Frank enters the field as the umpire and then starts the game. And literally everybody spits. <laughs> Frank, Frank then searches the batter and the catcher. After the first pitch, he calls a strike and then begins really enjoying the ump show that he is putting on all while searching the batters. Ed reminds Frank that there's only one more out until the seventh inning stretch. And that is when the assassin is supposed to make an attempt on the queen's life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. So we leave one costume and enter the next costume. (laughs) I like, I guess I like costume movies. My last choice was Indiana Jones and the last crusade where he dresses up in costume twice. Here we you are again. A, you have a costume thing. I have, I have a thing for costumes, I guess. Hmm. I like to like to dress up. I do like uh, that he knocks the umpire out here with a bat. <laughs> with a bat. First degree assault. And, right, with, uh, with a potentially <laughs> deadly weapon. Oh, excuse me. Uh, could you tell me, is this an official bat? <laughs> with a bat. <laughs> Uh, and uh, all right, so then he, he assumes the position of the umpire after um, the manager is like, "Would you get the game started?" And he's like, "Oh, all right, play ball." <laughs> and uh, I, I, this is one of the sequences that always, when I think of this movie, this is one of those sequences that always like it's one of the first thing that comes to my head is mm-hmm. is the is the first pitch being thrown out, him not knowing what to do. <laughs> 
and just saying strike like sort of quietly right crowd erupts he loves the attention so the next one comes in and he just calls strike again right away um and he does that little dance i love the dance he turns around and like does this dance with like his one hand on his belly perhaps and the other hand like I love that. I would. Moving I, off to the right. I so want to do that sometime in front of a crowd. You know, just like an assembly, just kind of like, hey. It makes me laugh every single time. It is so funny because uh, it's so out of character. And uh, and then that third ball, that third ball gets thrown, and he calls strike before it even hits the pitcher. Way before. Before. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the exaggerated like big like Michael Jackson dance and oh man that's such a funny sequence <laughs> yeah yeah Z- brother of the show Zach um, but it's it's something we'll say a lot like just not even like setting it up we'll just sometimes just kind of pop out with a hey 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 and that's from him yes. yeah just just totally um showing it up that that dance with his hand off with the back to the camera and his hand off to the right is I can't get over how funny uh, that is. Uh, um, but um, yeah, so he clearly is enjoying the attention here of being able to call strikes and have the crowd uh, scream and uh, then starts, you know, searching the players as they come up, searching, the, searching the catcher. And that's pretty funny. Um, but uh, I think my, I don't know. I think one of my favorite parts of this, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I, I love the blooper montage stuff that they do here. But oh yeah, but, uh, but I'll, I'll wait to talk about that because there's a couple other gags they throw in here. So, what else do you like about this little section after the uh, the, the pitch throwing? Uh, such a good scene. There, there's a reason I chose that. I'm watching it right now. Just, <laughs> oh my gosh, um, gosh, there's all sorts of funny crowd work. Going through this, uh, there's Ed eating. Uh, uh, do you want to go in order? Do you want to keep this oh, relatively chronological? Okay, you don't care. Okay, I don't care, no. So we, we talked about uh, George Kennedy, the captain, Ed Hawkins. Yes, yes. Like there's a there's a cutaway during the music montage of "I Love L.A." by Randy Newman, where he's eating. At, you know, first he's drinking a beer, Love and then he this, eats a popsicle. Yeah. Then he's eating a bunch of grapes, and then he brings up a small cake, which he basically just kind of rams his face into, <laughs> all in one shot. Which is, I, I love, I love, love, love the visual gag. I think I mentioned this a few episodes ago, but I love where things just kind of like funnily interframe, like comically, and him being in control of that is just so funny because someone's literally off screen, like handing him a, the popsicle and takes a big old bite and like, then he eats the grapes and he, then he just all of a sudden produces a cake. Were you kidding a cake at the baseball right. game? Who knows? You know, this movie just overall, like not the scene uh, specifically, but just overall, this movie is one of the best at that, at, at that thing, like, like introducing, uh, things that are out of place, uh, you know, funny visuals that come from off camera and then Mm -hmm, into mm -hmm. the frame. Um, They do that over and over again and they, and they do it without cutting the camera. So that, and this is a perfect example, like the camera never cuts away. So you can, you know, if you were to pull the curtain back, you can just imagine someone below the, the camera frame that's like handing him new things every time to shove into his face. And uh, I love that the continuity there that they don't cut away that they just, it, it's almost like a special effect 
Yes. Um, but, you know, in a comedy sense, you know, I love it. I love it. It's like a practical special comedy effect. I love right. it. Right. And, and something you don't, right. You're, you're not spending a lot of money on, but you're definitely putting all the brains into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's where like that true comedy lies. Kind of like we talked about with super troopers um, with so many things there just being like really simple to produce, like in terms right. of visuals or something on camera, but like, it's all, it's all from the talent of the people writing it. You just, you just love it. And, and just seeing people in the stands, like makes me like want to be out there probably, you know, playing baseball, not necessarily sitting in the stands watching baseball. Cause I, I just, I just don't, don't have that time to spectate a sport for hours on in outdoors. <laughs> I, I'd much rather be outside, you know, playing the sport or maybe listening to it or something like that, but not, not going to the stands, but it makes the stands like really appealing and like makes me think of the summer and seeing the Mariners struggle to win games and just enjoying enjoying that time. Well, we're, we're in the, the music video portion here. So I think we should hang out in this music video for a moment. So yeah, we, we get, we get this great egg with Ed eating all the different things and we get this, a uh, similar gag, like the Naked Gun movies love this, where they show one thing that's kind of funny, and then uh, a couple seconds later they'll come back to it, and it's a little more ridiculous, and they'll come back to it later, and it's like full-on unbelievable. Right. And in this case, it's him cleaning the uh, home plate, right? <laughs> he right, cleans right. it with a brush, which is normal, and he cleans it with a dustbuster, which is a very late 80s uh, pop culture thing, the dustbuster, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I really, yeah, if they had really focused on that for like a little bit longer, right, it would be more putting the movie in its time period for sure. But I, I do remember, yeah, the dustbuster coming along and really changing the game. And here's oh. like, hey, you know what would be funny is a dustbuster. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and then they cut back later and he's got a full-on, like, uh, living room vacuum. like the Right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, and then also during this uh, montage, we, we have... <laughs> We have the bloopers video, which, and they keep on cutting back to that. And it's, I think that might be my favorite part of this whole scene, just because wow. again, it's the same style of gag, right? Where like he, he was cleaning home plate, then he used the dust buster, then the vacuum, like it increases in ridiculousness every time. Right. And with the, with the bloopers, we see a bunch of normal bloopers and then we see a guy get hit by a car <laughs> driving through the field. And then next time we come back to the bloopers, we, is it the, the tiger? <laughs> right. The tiger just attacking someone out of nowhere. <laughs> and then my favorite is the very end. Because <laughs> it's like good practical effects, but also bad. Right. Uh, the outfield that jumps up to catch the ball and he hits the, the wall in the outfield and his head just falls off. <laughs> Oh my god. So. Right, and a Hall of Fame broadcaster Mel Allen with this catchphrase. That's his catchphrase that how about that? <laughs> how about that? <laughs> and, and I think the other announcer just watches on in horror as the other announcer's uh, reaction is is priceless cuz he <laughs> he's, he looks so jolly like how about that? <laughs> how about that? And the other <laughs> It's almost like he didn't see the same thing, and the other announcer's like, <laughs> just looks horrified. He just it. he's just seen it all, I guess. Oh, that's the uh, end of the show. Hey, hey. whoa, whoa. Hey, yo. hey yo. Um, all right, what else do we like about this uh, section here? Um, 
Gosh, there's just I mean it's it's a lot of gags. So after after a, a while, like gags. the the, the yeah. searching doesn't really work for me at this plate this pay that yeah, this place anymore or at this whatever this juncture now. Just uh, like the first couple people, it's you know it's funny he's searching, and then like they have to make sure to like remember he's searching everybody. He's there for a reason. Yeah, um, it's, it's overplayed. Yeah, a l- little bit overplayed, but at at the same time he's doing his due diligence. I'm Reminding us, the viewers, like why he's down there on the field. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we get a good gag where we see like way too many players run the bases, right? Yeah, like and you know, baseball logic. If you you're, you're not going to see four people just kind of casually strolling by second base, there, there's no <laughs> way that would happen. Like at, at most, you'd see three people. You'd see someone who was on second base, then someone who was on first base, and then the batter. Um, you wouldn't see that fourth person, like even during a, a grand slam, you, you just see, you know, three people or maybe just two people because the person on second took it, took a big lead, but it's just kind of funny. I, I thought watching it this time, I thought I remembered there being more runners in that mm. little sequence. I thought there was going to be like, you know, six or seven, just totally defying all logic, but excuse me, Chalada, but they, they, they kept it. <laughs> they kept it somewhat realistic. Like there'd only be four, Excuse me. There'd only be four uh, well, runners nice on the bases. Sort of e- Easter egg joke, right? Like if you notice that it's four and realize that that's not possible, then there's your joke, right? Right. It, it's again, it's an attempt at just every moment they can. They try to throw a little something in there that if you're paying close attention, you'll you'll notice a a gag or a goof or a joke or something. And that was not even that funny. It's just, if you notice it, you're like, Oh, ha, you know, that's, that's not possible, you know? Right. And there, there's more of that in the third part. Yes. Um, but w- what do you think of the, the song? I love LA. Are you, are you a fan of it? I am. I, I like Randy Newman. I, um, I, it's not like I own a bunch of Randy Newman albums or anything, or I'm not like dialing them up on Spotify, but Anytime he shows up on a movie soundtrack, uh, I'm I'm pretty happy. Like, how can you not like Rand? I mean, especially having kids and watching the Toy Story movies. Like, yeah. it just fills me with uh, some joy to hear Randy Newman. I, I think his voice just invokes uh, kind of a joyous uh, feeling. So I like it here. Um, I think it's a playful kind of fun song to have on top of all these silly gags that we're watching. Yeah, and it, I think it places it not just in a time, um, but also in a place like this is, I feel like a really strong LA movie. Um, yeah. there's elements where they're in, you know, walking around the city. Um, they're here in this landmark in Dodger stadium, even though right. The angels are playing there against the Mariners. They would actually be playing in wherever California angels were playing at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very clearly Dodger stadium and they're playing. I love LA, which is, very commonly played at uh, after LA Dodger wins. Um, so I, f- I feel like this puts, this is kind of like one of those secretly LA movies where people talk about movies, you know, showing off a city, whether it's LA or Chicago or New York. And honestly, that's kind of it. Yeah. yeah and this is uh, Dodger stadium, right? They film this yeah. in Dodger stadium. It's Dodger stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's uh, angels versus Mariners. <laughs> Yeah, with like weirdly like some missing uh, logos here and there. I'm not really sure why yeah, because yeah. like they, I'm, I'm sure they had to be licensed at some point in order to say, you know, the Angels, the Mariners, 
but who knows? Who knows? It's a comedy. It's not, it's not meant to be sure. really analyzed like, you know, a scene from First Blood or Predator, but it's meant to be enjoyed. And I, I'm definitely enjoying um, the ump show that he's putting on. Um, the ump show is I, I, I couldn't think of any other word to put it in there except ump show. And, and usually ump, yeah. ump show is like the, the der- not derogatory, it's the pejorative for when right the, the ump is making all these bad calls and people think, oh, the ump's making it about himself and right. not about like following the rules. It's, it's a complete ump show. But yeah, Frank Drebin really steals it here as, as the ump. And, you know, he's properly undercover, but again, he's kind of blowing it. Totally blowing it. I, I was going to bring that up too. Like, the, the show part of this and then the blooper reel are my two favorite parts of this section. But once again, Frank cannot help but put himself undercover and then try to bring as much attention to himself as possible <laughs> by doing Michael Jackson dances and moonwalking and uh, and calling the most egregious strikes he possibly can. And yeah. <laughs> once again, everyone is staring at him and no one notices that uh, it's uh, Enrico that is the, uh, the umpire. But uh, – not yet. Um, oh, well, la- la- last thing I'll give is that uh, they have the take on the Dodger dog here. It's called the Dugout Dog. And mm. oh, I was going to ask you about this. Yeah, okay, go if, ahead. if you're an eagle-eyed viewer, you would have maybe noticed that it said Dugout Dogs on the chemical plant that Frank has the shootout with with Ludwig's goon. But you probably wouldn't. You, you absolutely, I don't think you would. I think it's one of those repeat viewing jokes where if you watch it the second time, you realize, okay, this is where the finger in the ring comes. Uh, because when okay. Frank kills the bad guy in the plant or shoots the bad guy in the, pan, the plant, the guy falls into a vat of chemicals, really not unlike the Joker in 1989 Batman falling exactly. in the chemical plant. Yeah. A yeah. year later, I might add. A year add. later, yeah. But it's it definitely shows the guy's hand with a ring as the hand lowers into the vat of chemicals. And that was like, you know, half an hour before this uh, at this point. In the movie, maybe not half an hour, maybe fifteen minutes. All the same, it's it's a it's a big gap between that and and, and uh, you seeing Ludwig eat a dugout dog at the wonderful Ricardo Montalban. So I did not put these two things together. And I was meaning to ask you, like, what is the joke with the finger and the ring and the hot dog? I didn't know if it just meant to be like, oh, he just found a finger in his (laughs) hot dog. Like, is that the joke? Because hot dogs are gross. Right. Hot dogs are gross and you never know what's in them. And like, I can see that just sort of being a throwaway joke that maybe didn't land so well. Like, I was like, that's a weird joke. But the more I thought about it, I was like, no, there's got to be a, that's got to be a throwback to something earlier in the movie. But like I said, I only had time to really rewatch this uh, once over the last couple of days. So I didn't have time to go back through and rewatch it again to try to figure it out. So thank you for enlightening me. And that is actually pretty funny now that I know that, <laughs> <laughs> that they carried that over an extra half hour. It it's is. Pretty- yeah, it is a big carry, too. So like, like I said, it's worth repeat viewing for that joke. But like if you're not looking for it in the chemical plant, like you're not going to. It's not, you're not going to catch it, which I think was uh, pretty clever of them to do that, to have the bonus yeah. to, to do something like that. All right. Let's wrap things up here with part three. How does that sound? Part three. We're going to go from one hour, 12 minutes and four seconds all the way to the end of our scene at one hour, 16 minutes, 45 seconds. A new batter steps up and Frank is the only, is only calling balls now. The batter pops up the next pitch and Frank distracts the catcher. 
He then calls the third base runner safe at home before interfering with the pickle developing between first and second base. The other umpires start yelling at Frank and he proceeds to throw them out of the game. I've had enough, you're out of here. The third out is recorded by the scoreboard and Ludwig it activates Reggie Jackson as the Queen's assassin. Reggie takes a gun out from under second base before Ludwig takes Jane away at gunpoint. Frank tackles Reggie, sparking a benches clearing brawl between both teams. Reggie emerges from the scrum, approaches the queen, raises his gun. Frank then punches out the catcher and shoots his knockoff cuff link dart, which hits a woman in the upper deck. <laughs> she falls on Reggie and Frank unmasks himself in front of the crowd. At which point one spectator yells, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. And the crowd begins chanting his name. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. End of scene. Enrico Palazzo, Enrico Palazzo, Enrico. <laughs> and that ends the, uh, that's the punchline to a 16 minute joke. Holy cow. Wow. What a journey that's been just from knocking out the opera singer to assuming his identity. And then everybody thinks the opera singer saved the day. What what a good joke. Love it. So the whole uh, Frank getting involved in the pickle thing always makes me chuckle. Uh, And then he starts throwing out other umpires really makes me laugh. (laughs) All right. You're out of here. Out of here. You can't throw an umpire out of the game. (laughs) Uh, Once again, uh, trying to um, draw as much attention to himself as possible. Yes. Yes. I I love the visual gag of um, after the pop-up, throwing up all the baseballs so the person doesn't know which one to catch. And then then the catcher proceeds to try to tag the runner. And yeah, Dremen gives a save. Like when I've umpired, like, you know, middle school baseball games or softball games or whatever. I've done the I've done the safe every once in a while. That kind of <laughs> over exaggerated, really safe with the arms way back. Hey, um, you got to. That's fun. You have to. You have to. It's for no one but yourself. It's like when you make a, like a dumb joke in class, yes, in front of the students, and like they don't understand the reference. They don't like understand when one of back. your students is named Dylan, for example. Dylan, 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 Dylan. <laughs> I, I will say, baseball rules wise, though, this is uh, it'd be a it'd be a dead uh, ball. Even I, I mean, know that this is a little iffy here. <laughs> There's a it's a lot iffy, you know. If you know what's going on, like for for one, if the <laughs> if the ball is going to fall into foul ground, the catcher touches it and it still falls in foul in foul ground, the ball's dead. Runner can't it's advance. It's a dead ball. It's yep. a dead ball. Um, See, even I knew that. Yeah. But, mm. you know, if, if I don't know about the rule, though, if there happens to be a whole bunch of balls thrown in the air by the umpire and then caught, you know, that's it's probably also a dead ball and they just have to replay everything. So, yeah. Yeah. If Frank is smart enough, he somehow extends this by like whoopsie daisying everything. You know, like how how could you? Do you ever put yourself in the shoes of a character in a movie, Jeff? Do you think, like, well, if I was the umpire, how would I? delay the bottom of the seventh Mm, that's a good question thanks um well i would i would do as frank does and continuing to call balls until there was a full count Mm -hmm. and um but then i might uh 
you know, uh, pause the game. I got to go check out the pitcher. I got to go make sure they don't have any sandpaper under their hat or, uh, or Vaseline in their pants. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Vaseline in your pants. <laughs> Or maybe I'd call the game and 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 uh, just you know I had a couple burritos at lunch and uh, oh yeah I'm sorry everybody I know this is a, a major league baseball game but uh, I'm about to poop so <laughs> I got to get out of here <laughs> that would that would delay things <laughs> no one could fault yeah, you for that you'd hope the umpires then wouldn't you know substitute for you like oh time to time to go in oh good point they probably. Would just yeah, bring on. someone else in. Yeah. Yep. Boy, I don't know. What would you do? Oh, that's a good question. I never really think of answering <laughs> that question when I ask the question myself. Hmm. Uh, but gosh, I guess if I had to delay the game, I like your strategy of like visiting the mound and like, you know, may- maybe cleaning off home plate again. Yeah, bring out the vacuum. Uh, maybe like somehow losing the balls that were you know in his little ball pouch, his, his ball sack, if you will. Oh, there you and- go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe asking for more, like, oh, okay, I need another one. No, no, this one's bad. This ball's bad. Right. I don't know. Yeah, that's see, that that's where Frank's at here. He's not sure either. Mm. Yeah, I think I think starting a fight earlier might have helped because right, so much chaos. You could like really keep an eye on on the queen, but at the same time, like as we see, he is just just balls deep in this fight. He's actually <laughs> punching some. He's punching some of the players himself. He's balls deep. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and the crowd is loving it by the way the crowd is loving oh they are this big to it fracas yes um is this for real reggie jackson yeah that's for real reggie jackson that's great um, i love that I don't, I don't believe he ever played for the angels though right i remember watching this thinking like oh i thought he was just like an oakland a and a new york too. a yeah, that's why. I, oh no, he you know, played. He played for them, nineteen eighty two to nineteen eighty six. So they oh. might have even been filming this scene while he was with them. Um, oh. Even though this is an eighty eight movie, maybe they filmed it before the eighty seven season when he returned to the uh, Oakland days. Yeah, I did read that they had to film all the scenes from this. Uh, uh, they had to film this scene first uh, before anything else in the movie because they had to get it into the stadium before the stadium was going to be used by the Dodgers, right? Right, so, right. Yeah, so it was before the baseball season started. Yeah, so maybe they were able to grab him. Uh, I love that that's really him, though. And, uh, hey, mm-hmm. he does a he does a pretty good job for a baseball player, probably with no acting uh, history. Yeah. He I must plays kill a good sort of queen. robotic, robotic uh, assassin. I must kill the queen. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the, yeah, I love the fact that it's a real life baseball player. It's yeah, it's really Reg Jackson about to commit both to be regicide when you kill a, a king or a queen. Oh, oh yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Regicide. <laughs> it's regicide. Yeah. <laughs> Reggie Jackson. Oh, it's even in the name. Do you think that's the in joke? Reggie Jackson commits regicide. Regicide. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Regicide Jackson? Whoa. Are we like just now coming up with that, Jeff? <laughs> we did it. I searched Regicide and it says the action of killing a queen or the action of killing a king. Wow. Ooh, did they choose Reggie Jackson for that reason? What? Oh my God. Oh my God. 
first that's going to have to go on the IMDb is how do you enter trivia on IMDb? How do you do it? Uh, you'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. If I can figure out how to, when something I've done, <laughs> Make drink a, a chalada. <laughs> <laughs> drink while making a podcast. Yeah. Then I can figure out how to put something on the IMDb Tribune. You can do it. I'll go on there and I will say that I found this interesting. Yeah, permalink. Yes. Whatever that means. I, I would never click something that says permalink, by the way. That, just, <laughs> that sounds like bad news. <laughs> All right, so uh, so Reggie comes out ready to commit regicide, and oh my gosh! Uh, and uh, I know, and we get this great gag where where Frank, well, he punches out the catcher, but then he shoots his his cufflink dart, misses his target completely, <laughs> but then it's the woman in the upper deck who then falls on Reggie, <laughs> which is just great. There are so many times in this movie where he fucks up and. Uh, it ends up working out because of something like this, right? And they do this mm-hmm. type of gag over and over again. Yes. Um, and I love that they kind of do it one more time for this final, uh, you know, uh, this this uh, climax of the film. Yeah, it's it's unclear. I, I was always under the impression that like it bounced off Reggie Jackson mm. and then hit the attendee. I don't know how you took it. If maybe it just kind of errantly went way up in the stands on accident. Yeah, I can't I can't remember to say for sure, but I always just thought that he had horrible aim and just hit yeah. the one in the upper deck. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe killing two birds with one stone. Uh, by the way, like he's Reggie Jackson's under hypnosis. It is not his choice to try to commit Correct. regicide. Yes, uh, they have activated some sort of brain control through a watch, I believe that he is wearing. Just yes. so we're all clear, everyone at home. Yeah, it's not Reggie Jackson doing this out of malice. Right. I, but all the same, like he's taken out as if he's not in control. That's that's something I think we never – that they never make the connection with. I don't think Frank Drebin ever like actively comes on that – comes upon that um, realization that Ludwig, Ricardo Montalban um, – activates these sleeper assassins against mm. their will. I don't think that's ever, ever uh, brought up again. Uh, I don't, maybe, maybe it's by the end of the movie, they explain like, Oh, Reggie Jackson's fine. Uh, but at one point, like the middle person in the movie, who's an assassin, who's activated like that, tries to kill Nordberg, OJ Simpson's character in the hospital. Yeah. Frank takes him out in a kind of, again, a kind of clumsy roundabout way of causing the guy to crash into a fireworks factory. Yes, I don't nothing remember. to see here. Nothing to see here, and all the fireworks. There's fireworks going <laughs> off everywhere. Nothing to see here, please. Oh, so good, <laughs> but like all the same, like in Frank Drebin's mind, he's taking out the assassin. He's taking out right. someone who's acting on their own, who's making their this choice. <clears throat> I love it, um, and uh, yeah, and so then. Uh, we get the end of this scene. So uh, the, the woman falls on Reggie and we get Frank unmasking himself to the crowd and we get the final punchline. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. (laughs) One still thinks he's the opera singer and they begin to chant his name, which is just such a great, uh, just kind of uh, what would you call it? Like a long con or, or uh, just a, a, a drug out a gag that we get here. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it fits. <laughs> you see, and, and I like how Frank is even kind of shaking his head. Like, no, no, like I'm not, right. not Enrico Palazzo. He doesn't even try to play it off other than like hearing everybody chant the wrong name. He just kind of shakes it off and then has to go after <laughs> Jane. Right. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. But I, I yeah, just love that gag. It's Enrico Palazzo. So if, if you're ever watching like a YouTube video of Leslie Nielsen's greatest hits, and there's always going to be someone in the comments saying, Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh. um, hey, you want to talk about the uh, highest grossing films of 1988? Sure. Let's do it. I, I think we're bringing the scene discussion to a close. It sounds like. So, yeah. I think I, I'm good. If you are there, that was fun. I think I, I think I'm good. I think we're, uh, yeah. Putting the, the, the old, lid on the box and naked gun and this short little 85 minute movie. Wow. There's your, there's a good old there's run your, time, Jeff. Yeah. There's your, there's a reason to rewatch <laughs> this movie. It's on Netflix for one, everybody, at least right now, as we're recording this and it is only 85 minutes. It was a breeze to get through. Um, wow. 1988. We had rain man as the number one movie of the year. Rain, would Rain Man. Would Rain Man ever, would, if Rain Man came out in 2021, would it be the highest grossing film of this year? No. There's no people, fucking way. That, people be like, oh, Dustin Hoffman, uh, the Captain Hook. They'd be associating him with some big franchise. It'd be like an indie movie that would hit Amazon Prime or something. Not only and, is it highest grossing, but it's also winning all these awards. I think it wins best picture, best actor, best director. Yes. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman won for his role. Yeah. I mean, it's a good movie, uh, but it's just, it just illustrates how the movie industry has changed so much. Um, But anyway, Rain Man, number one movie of 1988, followed by Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, what a, what a a favorite that was at, you know, at my age. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Coming to America. Great. Mm -hmm. A lot of comedies here. Crocodile Dundee 2. That mm-hmm. surprises me. Um, twins. Um, f- uh, favorite of the pod, Rambo 3. Yeah. Turns <laughs> blue. Yeah. Followed by number seven, A Fish Called Wanda. Cocktail. Big. And number 10 is Die Hard. And number 11 was Naked Gun. Wow. So just outside the top 10. Look at all those comedies. So, so. Roger Rabbit, you could call a comedy. Coming to America, Crocodile Dundee, Twins, A Fish Called Wanda, Big. All comedies. Man, that is super interesting. I don't know if you'll find another year between then and now that would have that many comedies in the top 10. Very interesting. Yeah, and you know, franchise-wise, I think the longest-running one is either Die Hard or Rambo at that time. Yeah. Rambo, because Rambo has five movies – Die Hard has, also I think five. Die Hard, does Die Hard have five or six? I think it might have six might now. have six, you're right. Huh. Die Hard with a Vengeance and then, is it Live Free and Die Hard? I don't know. I don't know, is it Die Hard? Uh, <laughs> die Harder? Uh, yeah, Die Harder. <laughs> was that actually one of the that names? That was actually die part two. Part two was Die Harder, yes. Oh yes. my God. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, People out there are screaming at us, so we, we don't have the IMDb in front of us, everybody. Sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, all right, so Naked Gun, um, although not in the top 10, just outside. Also, it, it was still a big hit. 
um, definitely made money that year and spawned a franchise of films um, and really entered itself into the public zeitgeist um, in terms of pop culture and comedy. Um, Naked Gun was extremely, extremely popular in the late 80s and early 90s. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was like really cementing Leslie Nielsen as this iconic comic character who really came into comedy, if I remember, really late. I think he's 60 in this first Naked Gun movie. Very late. I think Airplane was really his first comedic role. I I could absolutely be wrong about that, but I feel like I've read that before, that Airplane was really the, the turning point for him. Yes, because before that, he was a dramatic actor. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen any of his uh, dramatic work, but if people want to let us know what some good dramatic Leslie Nielsen movies are, we'll we'll follow up. Watch um, the horror movie from the early 80s called Creepshow, which is an anthology film. Um, I think it's the second. No, I think it's the third short story in in the uh in the movie leslie nielsen plays a bad guy plays a villain okay. and plays it very very well um it's uh it's one of my favorite segments it's one of my favorite 80s horror movies and that segment that he's in is one of my favorite segments from that movie um, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I, it's called i can't remember that that segment is called something about the tide coming in uh i have to look it up um he is uh, a bad guy though bad dude bad guy yeah i could see him as a bad guy i I could see him as a good bad guy with like he might even try some of that same like kind of deadpanning kind of like keeping yeah calm he's very cold and cool and collected as a bad guy which is uh makes for a terrifying villain yeah yeah we should probably start wrapping things up here john do you want to do recommends and then we'll reveal the next movie i think we'll do that um, I'm going to recommend a show you actually recommended back in our Predator Minute days. Ah. Uh, because every once in a while, I'll think back to some recommend that you made. Mm. Um, and not necessarily something that just popped on your Plex like last time. <laughs> um, uh, but I checked out the show on HBO Max called Chernobyl. Yes. And I think I am four episodes in of the very limited series. I think it's either five or six shows. Yeah, you're almost done. Almost done. And it is just this stunning look at uh, what I have to assume was like the hugest news at the time in 1986. Not something I remember when I was, you know, six and seven years old. Um, but just this major story, this major disaster where. Uh, the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in modern-day Ukraine, then Soviet Union, um, experiences a a meltdown or a near meltdown. Um, yeah, due to like a badly failed safety test. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it is. It's terrifying. It's like you watch that first episode, and like it's it's hard to find like more like more frightening TV in a big. Um, reason for that is that this really happened it's not something that someone's making up was like oh, wouldn't it be terrible if but it was oh this is terrible because it happened um and there is that uh there is that extra mystery because it's behind the iron curtain because we don't know what kind of things the soviet union kept classified since then and what they have uh published what they what information they have allowed out but um yeah thanks for that recommend a long time ago yeah a minute show but I, I checked out chernobyl and like i am i'm hooked i can't stop thinking about it like 
just kind of like walking around when it's quiet out like it just yeah it pops in my mind like oh my god like the world it's is so, the world is crazy yeah it's so good man and and what makes it so terrifying and so sinister is the just the failure on all fronts that led to the disaster and then the subsequent attempt at every level to try to cover up um, what caused the accident, trying to make it seem like there was no um, incompetence involved, which there absolutely was. And, uh, and that willingness to try to cover things up goes so far up the chain that it endangers the lives of thousands upon thousands of people that live in that area and don't want to give away too much but i'm i'm you know, talking about a real historical event so i don't figure i'm giving anything away here mm-hmm. but uh, man the way it's it's dramatized is that a word um i think so yeah the, regicide i must kill the queen yeah <laughs> And the performances in that in that show are fantastic. So if anyone has not watched the Chernobyl miniseries, it's HBO, right? Right. Um, it's, it's so good. Check it out for sure. I, I'm, I'll, I'll double recommend your recommend. Yeah, and like the thing about it being a real event is that well, and for the popularity of the TV show is there is no shortage of Chernobyl videos on YouTube. If you want to see people mm-hmm. walking through, yeah. you know, the, the abandoned town, the nearby town of Pripyat. If you want to see people, you know, with their little dosimeters, dosimeters, uh, where they're detecting the radiation and on different things. It's like, wow, that's, it's still spooky. Like just watch some modern videos, maybe just watch people walk around like an abandoned stadium. But mm-hmm. like, you know, you're, you know, it was abandoned because they had to evacuate everybody and nobody came back. Well, this just, just leaves me with like this kind of black hole when I, when I watch it, like, Oh, I I, I hope things can be better now. I am going to uh, switch gears on you and recommend something that is uh, not a uh, serious drama. All right. And I'm going to (laughs) go a a comedy special that I watched on Netflix. Okay. Okay. And this is, um, I did not know much about this comic. Uh, his name is Bo Burnham. Oh, uh, I think I'm pronouncing Bo. that right. Do you know Bo yeah. Burnham? He directed Eighth Grade. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, no wonder I like that movie so much. Um, yes, like I said, didn't know much about Bo Burnham. Um, apparently, he released a couple stand up specials um, in the early 2010s that were, seemed to be well received. And um, I learned that um, he stopped doing comedy around 2015, 2016 because of some mental health issues he was having, some anxiety that he was having. And so he stopped doing performances on stage. And then uh, right around January of 2020, he's feeling better. He's working on his mental health. And he says to himself, I think I want to get back out there and start doing comedy in January of 2020 (laughs) and lo and behold in March of 2020 what happens we all know and uh, so he is now in the middle of pandemic quarantine and Bo Burnham decides that he's going to make a comedy special by himself alone in his apartment and uh this was just released on Netflix a couple weeks ago, and um, it's part, uh, 
comedy part uh it's a musical comedy there's a ton of funny songs and music that he does and part just sort of window into his psyche while he was living through the pandemic kind of alone and all by himself in his apartment because he's not married has no kids and had no job because he could not be a comic anymore um and he wrote directed produced and edited this comedy special in his apartment all by himself and it was just released on netflix and it's kind of amazing Um, and uh like i said it's just sort of a window into one person's experience over the last year um it's it's funny it's tragic it's sad uh it's hilarious it's all these things wrapped into one and i can't recommend it enough i i was kind of mesmerized by it while watching it so it's called inside i didn't mention that it's called inside by bo burnham on netflix check it out it's really good wow that sounds like super unique and like really super unique yeah really of its time does he does he talk about covid a little he mostly he doesn't actually say the word COVID I don't think the whole time oh. it's just implied that he's in his apartment because of lockdown he can't go anywhere um, and um, some of it is extremely funny there are some parts that just made me die laughing that are just pure comedy bits that he thought of and filmed and other parts are a little more personal where he's just sort of singing a song about kind of how he's feeling and and uh how his mental health is not doing great at the moment and uh so it's heartbreaking at times but absolutely hilarious at other times and it's just um in terms of like a creative performance i don't know if i've ever seen anything like it so Hmm. um definitely check it out it's it's great it's pretty good okay i'll have to check it out yeah yeah for sure bo burnham called inside inside yeah yeah all right well have we reached the moment i think we've reached the moment where we need to compare this movie to predator (gasps) i almost forgot Ah, i almost forgot our recurring segment is it better than predator so i'll I'll let you go first jeff since you're the guest just kidding um predator wins I like Predator more. Um, <laughs> Next. Again, this is a silly comparison because these are two completely opposite movies. We've had this discussion. It's why this segment may have been ill-advised by me. <laughs> <laughs> like, who would watch Predator every week, Jeff? That would be crazy. Who would do that? If you would like to find out, please check out Predator Minute Podcast. On all your favorite podcatchers. I like this movie a lot. This movie, uh, I have a lot of nostalgia and there's a lot of really great jokes. Um, But like you, I was also struck this time on rewatching it by how many jokes didn't quite land for me the way they landed when I was 12. And um, I also, like you mentioned, felt uh, at times the movie dragging a little bit. Um, So I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I don't know if I'll be going back to Naked Gun anytime soon. I feel like I have my fill of this uh, comedy. But um, put this down on the table with Predator and be like, which one are you going to watch right now? I think I'm choosing Predator. So Predator wins. Predator wins. Yeah, Predator is going to win for me too. I I think Naked Gun is, you know, it's a fun movie. It'll make you laugh. Um, I think 
the way I would watch it in the future, though, Naked Gun, I, was, uh, I would probably like search out different scenes. I would probably just watch yeah. this baseball scene all by itself. Um, I wouldn't want to probably pop it on unless I was really intent on watching all three movies in a row. But the movies themselves don't really connect, so there's not that, like, there's not that. Uh, what would you say, like, dramatic tension or dramatic? carry over from one film to yeah, the next. There's no so, through line from one to the next. It's every right. movie is just sort of a repeat of the previous movie with just other silly gags. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so I would pick up naked gun for right. The repeat of some of those gags of specific scenes. Uh, but overall I would go predator predator wins. Predator wins. Predator wins. This does make me kind of want to revisit two and three, though. Uh, sure. Probably not back to back because that might be a little overload. But um, <laughs> I realized after watching this how many times I've seen Naked Gun number one and how much I don't remember about the sequels. So it might mm-hmm. be fun to revisit at some point for sure. Yeah, they're good for a, a rewatch for sure. But um, yeah, now's the time since I chose this movie, you. Jeff Glover have to choose the scene from the next. Sorry, you, Jeff Glover, are going to choose the next movie in the next movie scene. So what are we going to watch? All right. The time is upon us. Um, <laughs> there 50% of the people that are on this podcast enjoy horror movies. <laughs> And the other is me. And the other is you. So I've been very conscious of that. There are a lot of horror movies that I I might choose uh, to talk about, but I also want to balance that with um, knowing that you're not a huge fan of horror movies, and I don't want to put you through watching something that you won't enjoy. Um, oh, but, that's nice of you. But I, I am ready. Just just know okay. I am willing to, to take it for seeing it all. It's going to happen, especially when we get closer to October. Um, I'm definitely going to be going <laughs> all in. But um, I wanted to do one. There's uh, several on my potential list that I had been thinking about. But I think I chose one that you're absolutely going to be on board for because this is really more of a sci-fi um, horror suspense film. Um, we are going to watch the classic horror sci-fi film, Alien.
Oh. And if we're going to talk about Alien, we have to talk about the dinner scene. Yeah. I was going to write the, the chest. I'm writing it right now. I started to write chest burster scene. Chest burster scene. So I think this might be the shortest scene on paper that we've covered. This is going to go from, for those of you at home, um, around, I think it's around minute 53 and 30 seconds um, up to about minute 56 and 56 seconds. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to do the moment when, uh, when he wakes up and uh, comes to dinner with the crew, and uh, then we get the famous chest burst. So um, I'm I'm super excited to rewatch this. I've actually ordered the in anticipation of this. I ordered the 4K disc of this. Oh. Um, so I'm gonna settle in and rewatch Alien, and uh, I can't wait to talk about the dinner scene with you. Oh man, I, I can't wait either. Um, I didn't. I haven't watched Alien in forever, and I probably have only watched it in bits and pieces. But mm. um, one of the other movie minute, movies by minute podcasts, uh, back when we did the whole Predator Minute podcast, mm-hmm. um, I was listening to the Alien Minute podcast, and oh. they that first season they did of Alien Minute, I thought was so good and intriguing, like. That was one where I could like listen to the whole series, not be afraid because you know other people talking talking about the movie, but really be satisfied with like listen to the analysis. Um, oh. And that was I want to give people credit because I hate it when people don't give credit. It drives me nuts when they're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, watch this eleven minute video on YouTube," and I know what eleven minute video they watched, and it like would it kill them to actually plug. Right. someone's channel or podcast like come on um <laughs> anyway let me let me search up alien minute yeah alien. well while you do that i'll just um ex- expound on alien for a moment uh i also felt like we had to do this because it's part of our theme song you know yes yes when a- the xenomorph took out harry dean yeah we gotta get so if you reference this movie in the theme song i think we have to cover it at some point on the podcast um, and like I said, there's been a 4K release of this that I want to watch. Um, and I feel like I watched, I did a binge of alien movies like four or five years ago. Um, and uh, I've been really wanting to go back and watch the original Alien again because my memory of it is that it's such a kind of perfect, tight, suspenseful thriller that then turns into like a, a horror movie almost with like slasher tropes in there. Right. So um, I'm really excited to, to revisit this. So I, I, I think this is, um, is this a, a horror movie you can get on board with John? This absolutely is um, from everything I hear. It's uh, it's a real film with a capital F mm-hmm. um, directed by Ridley Scott yes. starring just a, a just murderers row. I, I want to avoid saying murderers row again because murderers row in <laughs> itself is also like a baseball reference from the 1940s, <laughs> right. Yankees, of course. Uh, and uh, yeah, anyway, but a real murderers row, right? Of town and Sigourney <laughs> Weaver and uh, Bilbo and John Hurt, yes, and Harry Dean, Harry Dean, <laughs> yeah, Yafikoto, uh, uh, Dallas, who plays Dallas, Tom Skerritt. Yes, Tom Skerritt. I almost, how can oh, we forget? I'm sure I'm missing um, people. Sorry, Alien cast. But all right. Yeah, John, a- John and Mitch, they are the ones who hosted Alien Minute. And 
I don't. I, I think they've wrapped up all their alien and aliens talk. Did they go through all the movies? Do you know? I think they just did Alien and Aliens. Okay, that's good for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you know, do like the really, yeah, overall liked ones, kind of like we did with Predator Minute. You know, cover the really the solid one, Predator, and then yeah, yeah leave leave the other ones for other people. Someone else can do those. Yeah, yeah. Feel free. We will not be in your way. All right. Well, right on. So everybody, watch Alien and. Uh, Come come back in a couple weeks and, and join us for the discussion. I'm super, super excited. I am excited, too. I'm also excited to find out where can people find you, Jeff? Oh, I am uh, Carl underscore Hungus 314. My name is Carl been expert. Follow me on the Twitter. You can find me there. <laughs> Jeff Glover. <laughs> Follow me there. Follow me there. I'm on the Twitter. Where can we find you, John, and all things seen at all with Jeff and John? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Jeff. Uh, I always do. You you always do. Gosh, (laughs) and I never see it coming. When I remember. (laughs) I did not see that coming. Okay. Um, All right. You can. Where do I start? Find us at Twitter. We are at seen it all underscore. That is S C E N E it all underscore. You can email this show. Seen it all podcast at gmail.com. Our latest email comes in from YouTube saying <laughs> you've received this email because we're updating YouTube terms of service or terms oh. in quotes. Uh, okay. I'm not really going to go into details, but YouTube sent some pretty spicy messages my way. Uh, anyway, so if you want to send some, you know, movie talk messages, by all means, email the show that is seen it all podcast at gmail.com. You can also join the Facebook group, the ever growing, hopefully evergreen, hopefully ever calling strikes and balls, uh, on the Facebook group, seen it all with Jeff and John. Fantastic. (laughs) Would you like to take us out, John? All right. Well, for everything seen at all, I've been John Zabriskie. And I am Jeff Glover. And until next time, stick around. Stick around. (laughs) You didn't know which way to go, did you? I didn't didn't know. (laughs) Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Have a chalada. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Shelf reliance. If it bleeds, we can kill it. (laughs) (laughs) You you must have wounded it. (laughs) I took my pants off. How about yours? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh. Sean Connery should be in every scene. Every sheen it's, of hey, the movie. It's Enrico Palacio. <laughs> Enrico Palacio. I like his pants. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> <laughs>
You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me You can go to the diner for a meal with Meg You can yell at your class, stab yourself in the leg You can upgrade your boat for when sharks attack And you can be like Arnold, tell him I'll be back You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean you wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Jeff and John talk scenes and quotes Jeff improvises while John takes notes From Mozambique to Montreal You can join in the chat on Scene It All You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when the Xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Seen it all with Jeff and John.